Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 817 with Emily Williams Knight. Because, you know, here in Texas, as you know, we're second largest private employer. We were 70 billion strong pre-pandemic. And so I feel like, you know, our job is to really be the voice for every single restaurant when they can't represent themselves singly. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. 
What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support, and there's a few ways you can support it. You can use our sponsors. When you use our sponsors, they say, heck, this really works. We should sponsor more episodes, and they do. So please support our sponsors and you support the show. Use our links. Sometimes they're affiliate links. You click our links, we get paid a commission, and we're just linking to the tools and services that our guests are recommending organically. So why not click those links, and why not even possibly get a discount? Share this podcast with anybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. And then lastly, come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. When you join the network, you join the conversation, you contribute to this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, and it really supports the podcast. So today we're talking to Emily Williams Knight, the president of the Texas Restaurant Association. And honestly, I wasn't expecting to get this interview when I went down to Texas uh, to be a part of the TRA marketplace. They actually gave me my own stage. I got to record a handful of really great interviews. You might have actually caught the episode I did earlier this week with Ellis uh, when Stanley that was at the TRA marketplace. Uh, And when I got there, they said, why don't you interview Emily? And I said, okay, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a, kind of a little bit of a fanboy of Emily. If I'm, if I'm being completely honest, uh, I've been able to watch from a kind of a close perspective, uh, what she's been able to do and how she's had an influence that impacted, uh, restaurant associations. And I really do think she is a shining example of, the transformation that's happening in our industry right now. I think if there's a lot of positive change happening, I think uh, the Texas restaurant association, as far as restaurant associations go is at the leading edge of the transformation as far as uh, existing for the right reasons, you know? And I think I don't want to get into the details of some of the thoughts I've had. I I've had in the past about restaurant associations that comes out a little bit in the interview. Uh, but I, I just want to say how proud I am to uh, be witnessing uh, what's going on as far as how the, the values are shifting in the industry. And I just can't reinforce how I do think that the TRA is at the leading edge of this. And it was, it, it was cool to kind of make an example of the positive change that's happening. Again, the mission statement of restaurant unstoppable is to inspire empower, and transform the industry. And I, and when it comes to transformation uh, again, um, really just proud of what's happening over at the TRA and I don't think I need to stroke their egos anymore. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do right now, but it was cool to connect with her and it was cool to share the story of the transformation and to shine a light on what's going on over in Texas. So with no further ado, here it is. Emily Williams Knight. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, CEO of the Texas Restaurant Association, Emily Williams Knight. Emily, are you feeling unstoppable today? I think I am. I, <laughs> I feel I'm excited. feeling unstoppable. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for welcoming me and inviting me to be here and to record on your stage. It's been an honor. Uh, I'm just happy to be associated with what you guys are doing here. It's so great to see you again, too. I remember the first time I met you, I was, I, I think, know. in day four. Yeah, you just uh, I had just transitioned. I was sort of going in that transition period, but it was my first show, and it feels so different now, right? Two years later, and who would have yeah. known we had a pandemic between us? So. Well, a lot has happened in the past two years for sure, but I want to get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You know, I, it, this is going to be interesting to you, right? But there's something I think about every day, which is the impact that I can make. And so I, every day I say to myself, Emily, 
when you pass someone, make sure you smile. It may be the only smile they see. And my mom told me that growing up. And yes. so it's just a great way to live, a great way to start your day. And you'd be surprised how many people you can impact just yeah. by smiling when you pass them. I've heard a great piece of advice that every time you walk through a door, that door should be the trigger to put a smile on your face. Like habits. Yes. When you build habits, habits need triggers. And if you start doing that, it's yep. such a powerful little thing you can do that every time you see a doorway, you walk Love through it. it put a smile on your face. It's yeah, so powerful. You feel better. Yeah. And, you, and you probably brighten someone's day. Yeah. And there's, right? there's science, Double win. There's science that backs up that you actually have chemical, like I can't remember which chemical it is. Uh, uh, maybe it's some, well, it's some endorphins. T- that, some tocin. That, yeah. That, that <laughs> get released when you smile. It's powerful absolutely, stuff. Absolutely. Um, so great way to get this thing started. And uh, this isn't my traditional interview because usually I'm making an example of restaurant tours, but you're the CEO of the Texas Restaurant Association. And uh, I, so I have a history with restaurant associations. Wow. I worked for a restaurant association right around the time I was starting Restaurant Unstoppable. And I have to be honest, and I've even talked to Anna about this. And we've recorded this because Anna's been on the show, Anna Tazen, uh, her chief revenue officer in innovation. Or, or in, yeah. I always screw it up. She's yeah, going to be so mad at me. Yeah, it's like chief revenue officer and head of innovation. I was close, Anna. Don't yeah, be too mad at me. She's great. She is great. And we've had a lot of conversations about my beliefs or my feelings on restaurant associations because of the bad experiences I had. Um, essentially, just the restaurant association I was associated with was seemed to be more interested in their own profitability than the interest of the, the restaurant owner. Nice. That was my experience. And I, I said this before, so I'm saying it again. Um, and I have to be honest. I'm just going to come out the gate and say, Anna and yourself, being so close with Anna and the Texas Restaurant Association, you guys have really turned my opinion around oh, on excellent. restaurant associations. And today I'm really hoping to capture that, uh, sure. how you came into the Texas Restaurant Association, what it's been like, how you were able to unite the 23 chapters. Because... I, I mean, it's awkward to say because you're sitting across from me, but there's a, a little disarray in the Texas Restaurant Association going a few years back before you got on scene. So, what what was it like? Take us to like how did you how did this opportunity to, to join the Restaurant Association come onto your radar, and, and why did you take it? Sure, no, great question. I'm actually I always go back to third grade because I think it's really important. In third grade, I watched a show called Hotel with Connie Selleck and James Brolin. Yeah, um, I was raised in an enlisted military family. Things are pretty, you know, it's a great way to be raised because you have a lot of good qualities that get you know developed in you um, but it's a lot of the same and I would watch that hotel on TV and just imagine running it one day and taking care of people and providing service and so I knew in third grade I went on to hospitality school at Boston University I worked for Marriott I worked for Pizza Hut and so I've always loved to serve and to create an experience and so I was um, working on international education so I uh, worked putting culinary schools all across the world and really was committed to sort of developing the future of the industry. And so I received a call that said, you know, after I think 40 something years, the president and CEO role of the TRA is open. Um, I said, of course not right away, because I thought it was just all advocacy. Mm. Um, and it's a huge piece of it, but it's also just being that sort of protector of an, a sector that's been so important to me my whole life. And so I took the leap and uh, absolutely the best thing I ever did. Who are you protecting the industry from or what yeah. are you protecting the industry so from? So I like to say it's sort of protect in advance and so on the protection side it's any any harmful legislation that could come down to hamper a business's ability or a restaurant's ability to be successful. Um, it's things from taxes to um, licensing issues, everything in between packaging, any kind of new rules that would stop a restaurant owner from um, doing their job, right? Or being able to, to successfully run their business. And then really advanced is about how do we help, especially our small 
restaurants find access to things that would help them run a better business, so the operations side? And and how do we connect those um, individuals together to make sure that that entire ecosystem um, just thrives? Because, you know, here in Texas, as you know, we're second largest private employer. We were 70 billion strong pre-pandemic. And so I feel like, you know, our job is to really be the voice for every single restaurant when they can't represent themselves singly. Yeah. So before you joined the Texas Restaurant Association, um, I I mean, the, the... Restaurant associations have been huge for the industry, right? I think, I, in my my opinion, or my if I had a guess, I think uh, with the advance of technology and communication, the need for that association still needed, but not as needed because information was so readily accessible. Um, I think that has something to do with it. Uh, in your opinion, do you, do you think that associations kind of lost some of their at one point lost some of their uh, mojo? You know, I, th- I think I think I had a little advantage, I'll say this, coming in because I didn't come from the association yeah. world. Um, so it's hard for me to co- sort of comment on the associations of the past or trade shows of the past. Yeah. I think that w- what, what I noticed was a huge opportunity to sort of unite. Uh, Texas is massive. We have 254 counties. Yeah. Um, and so if you can't provide value to your members, um, they're not going to pay you dues. And yeah. so it was really a dues-driven model. Yeah. Um, and I think our members have shifted and they've changed. And our associations that are struggling really haven't figured out how to provide a new set of services to okay. their members. So let's get into that shift and that, that change that you that you saw, the, the, necess- the necessary changes that you saw that you took. What were those? Like paint that picture of what it was and what it is now. Yeah, I think most importantly, it's cultural. And you nailed it on the head, right? It's we're not here for ourselves. We're here for our members. We're a nonprofit. And yeah. every Bump penny... Bump up that mic just a little bit oh, for sorry, me. Yeah. No, you're good. Yep. Was- um, every penny that we um, bring in is to be put towards our members. And mm-hmm. I think that's a fundamental mind shift. And I, when I arrived, it was something I was really important to me that everyone who worked on this team understood that we were there for a member. Okay. And so we would visualize that member. And then it was looking at what are those products and services that they need? Let's stop bringing them stuff that we think they want. And let's actually talk about what they need with them. Mm. And so we did a ton of roundtables. I mean, hundreds of interviews to first, really understand. Yeah. First seek to understand, then seek to be understood. A- absolutely. Yeah. And so we don't, I mean, every anyone will come to us to try to get us to partner with them to provide something to our restaurant base because we have the access to the members. Yep. That doesn't mean it's right for the members. Yep. And so I think that that was an important shift for us is to really think about and understand what that operator needed and then bring those services to mm-hmm. them. So there are 23 chapters there to are. the Texas Restaurant Association. Were you aligned, say, two years ago? Do you think the chapter? Why no. not? You know, it's hard. I mean, Amarillo is really different than McAllen. El Paso is very different than downtown Austin. It's a big state. It's a massive There's state. micro communities <laughs> and cultures all over the state. There is. Yeah. There is. And so they were all sort of operating independently. And so what we had to do is bring them into regions. So instead of trying to control all of them right from Austin was, let's put you in the region. Region makes much more sense. Um, And then let's put executive directors, which we have incredible leaders that can help with their boards, work on local issues. And so if if a Houston's experiencing something on licensing, for example, or there's a new health code coming out of Houston, that's very specific to Houston. And so what we realized was we could actually still have that, I guess, autonomy on the local level. But then by actually coordinating by regions, we actually can now support those groups from the state and make sure that the way I like to put it, very simply, if you are running a small restaurant in Austin, 
you have an association that's watching out for you in yeah. all things Austin. Yeah. You have a state association, but more importantly now, we've also reconnected in a formal way, a really informal way, but important way with the National yeah. Association. And I have a secret agenda here right now with this interview because oh, no? my mission is, and what I've recognized that you've done really well is you united the state and all these different chapters. And I think that was huge. And I think that if you're listening to this right now, pay attention to how Emily did it. Um, the big things I'm hearing from you is that you, you, it was, the industry is very fragmented because yes. of all these chapters. And it, when things are fragmented, uh, you, you get pockets, micro pockets of different beliefs, different visions, different opinions. And it sounds like your approach to bringing things together is you, you, force people to not be so fragmented by bringing together certain chapters in a region. Correct. So, and giving them support, right? So our smaller chapters weren't getting the support they needed. And so, so want- by putting them into regions, we could actually take that level of support and um, and provide it actually to more formally to some of those smaller chapters, which is what they need. So there's a lot of will there, but not always the right resources. Okay. So you went from how many... Uh, chapters of how many uh, regions? We're still in chapters. So every chapter is autonomous, yep. but they're part of a region. And that region has TRA staff now to okay. support them. And how many regions are there? Uh, four. So you basically just force people to get together and communicate. Yes. And then used where we had our big cities. Yep. So our four big cities that had executive directors, allowing them now to reach up from Dallas into North Texas, into Lubbock and Amarillo and help those chapters grow. So what did the, the communication look like? How did you get people aligned? You brought them together so they weren't so isolated. That's number one. But what else did you do? What brought us together was COVID. Okay. Which is... is you know, I, had, if, I was wondering. I, I knew that had something to do with it, but get 100%, into why. 100%. So I arrived. I was in the job about six months when the pandemic hit. So we were making tremendous progress. The team here is extraordinary. I mean, yeah. I just can't say enough about the team. And we just two things we did. We redid the bylaws of the organization. So we looked at the governance and said, we don't have strong representation from a across the state, but also across different sectors. And we don't have our supply partners with us. We don't have our alcohol partners with us. And that was a, imagine redoing the governance in your first six months. It was an unbelievable undertaking, but it allowed to make sure at the board level that the right people were at the table. Yeah. Now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check ACH or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right. No more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. 
Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to. No more duplications of efforts and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. So taking a few steps back and looking at what happened, essentially, so you, you, you brought people together. You forced people to, to be in the same room and communicate. Uh, and you also unintentionally all together at the same time had a singular purpose, yes. which was figure out this stupid COVID thing and how do oh we get gosh. past it? So there's a lesson there that if you are aligned on a purpose and a one reason united, right. you can do a lot of stuff. I mean, it just happened to be that we all, but this is, it goes beyond the TRA. It goes across the world. Like the world was united at once. We all had the same mission to keep each other safe. Yep. Right. And you saw organizations tackle it differently. I mean, yeah. you saw some folks that sort of just crawled under their desk and wanted it to go away. And and we as a team met uh, the very early days before we even shut down. And we said, you know what? We're going to lead through this. We have got to help these. And people, we had no idea what was coming. Yeah. None. I remember being on the phone with the governor's chief of staff and we agreed we were going to work together. We're not going to go public, not get nasty. And we're going to figure it out because nobody knew what was about to happen. Um, and I think that's when we decided to, that our members were going to carry them through this. So you're also injecting values at this point. Too, Absolutely. Saying this is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to conduct yep. ourselves. Uh, and so, I mean, aside from so some of the things we've identified, bringing people together, having a single purpose, injecting values and in how to conduct yourself. Yes. Uh, anything else that I'm missing? You're also giving people the resources and tools. Yep. And I would say there's sort of a uh, relentless. If I think about all the people that I'm meeting at the convention today, they're so grateful for two things. Thank you for fighting for us, which means you use the media, you use elected officials, you get to every single person. That wasn't the, the dialogue two years ago. So, I mean, you must feel so accomplished. I hope you do. I hope you do. I feel great because we lost restaurants. That part still hurts in the yep. pandemic, but we lost far fewer thanks to, I think, just the work we did in the partnership we had with really important people. Um, so when you're talking about the tools that you need to give your people, give me an example of what those tools are. Man, I'll tell you what some of the most valuable is. Think about all the legislation that was being passed at the federal level, right? So from Families First Act to the PPP, then the RRF, and then we had a paid sick leave component. I mean, there was so much for them to navigate. These bills were seven, 800 pages. And so as an operator, you're trying to save your business. You're trying to do alcohol to go. You're trying to sell groceries. You're trying to get, you're doing anything you can to generate revenue. You're not going to sit and read a bill that's 700 pages. And so one of the most important things we did was actually just digest all that and go back and say, this is what you need to know. And we committed to every single night. We sent an email. If it was really complicated, I would just do a video. And I would say, hey, here's what it is. You got to do this, this, and this. Here's the forms. Here's the... And so we sort of became a bit of... We've been told a guiding light. People wouldn't go to bed until they got our email or watched our video. Yeah. And it gave them hope, right? Somebody was out there fighting for them. So I think one of the the channels of communication or one of the tools that I'm identifying is a channel of communication. Yes. And just communicating is one of those tools. And I got those emails. I was, I'm oh, on that email you? list and what? I can vouch for you that like every day, you know, we had you on restaurant unstoppable during the, the uh, Corona Chronicles to kind of get the perspective right. of what was going That's on. Um, and you guys, your communication, uh, you're, you're writing a, like a, like a book. I was so impressed. Like I was like, how is she like, I was like every day? Like you had so much to share and so much to cover. Um, and it's just a couple people, right? There's a team of three or four, yeah. or four of us really that, 
and, and we wouldn't go to bed. I mean, it'd be 12 o'clock and we'd be on Zoom together, exhausted. Yeah. And nobody would go to sleep until we got that, that email out. It was that important to us. I honestly, like the tech, the, the emails that I was getting from the Texas Restaurant Association were my most trusted resource. Oh, during COVID nineteen, and that we wanted to be the one source of truth, we called it. And, and as things were happening, things were coming out, and it was like it was really impressive. Um, so, channels of communication. What are the other tools that you're giving your team, or your your members? Or you know, I, I think for member, you know, this is going to sound. It was hope. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I, it's been said to us so many times. We didn't realize that was the role we were playing. Yeah, but people people would actually believe they could make it one more day. Yep, because they knew. Okay. Something's going to be okay. They're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And I hate to say that, but if you're in a crisis and all hope is lost to you yep. and you have someone telling you that it's going to be okay, um, that probably was one of the greatest values. We, we didn't even know we were doing, right? Yeah. We were just we're doing what we thought we knew how to, you know, there was no playbook. Mm-hmm. And and I remember a little bit about being raised in a military family, which was you have to lead in a crisis. Yeah. And, you know, the team, they just, we carried our members with us. And so... You know, there was a sense of if we stop talking, if we stop fighting, if we don't go on CNN and explain what's going on, if we don't go tell people that restaurants are safe and all. I mean, we just went through so much that these operators, it was just this sense of giving them this hope that there was going to be a brighter day. Yeah. And I, I have to give a nod to a past professor I had, David Mazur, if you're listening to this. <laughs> I don't know if this, these are his words or if he heard it someplace else, but I remember a class we had and he asked the class, he's like, what is, what is a leader? And he took some answers, you know, he's like, he's like, I think it's a leader is a dealer of hope. Yes. I love that. Dealing. You just, you're, you're basically providing hope and that's what a leader does. And you're also being the leader and leading by example. That's the other thing that you did by showing up every day, communicating every day, letting people know that we're here for you every day. Um, Is there anything else we're missing as far as leadership that I, I need to make an example of you? Of you know, just don't be afraid to make the hard decisions. Yeah. You know, at the same time, I was in the middle of sort of a turnaround in the association. So I had to sort of manage our business, really lead our business, our organization. We were, you know, our business model at the time was very member driven, dues driven. Our restaurants are now closed. Um, and so trying to get through all of that simultaneously. But I think a leader has to make the tough decisions. Yeah. How and, do you process tough decisions? You know, I, I can, I'll just give you a quick story. I was the president of Kendall College in Illinois, and um, I had to let somebody go, which I, was someone who was very, very special to the mm-hmm. organization, um, but really wasn't going to be a good fit going forward. And I did it with class and grace and, you know, the best you can do when you're separating from an employee. And I remember going home that night, and like you always do, I just, I didn't feel well. I didn't want to have dinner. And all I could think about was I was going to be the topic of conversation tonight and that person's dining table. Mm-hmm. And I think once you get comfortable with that and you realize that you have to make a decision for the greater good and people may not like it, but they will respect it, yeah. the minute you can fundamentally make that shift, yeah. um, then you're not afraid. Yeah. And I think one thing I tell myself whenever I have to make a hard decision or if I'm nervous about something, I just say it's not about me. No. I remind myself it's not about me. You can't me. personalize it. Yeah. it. But I'll tell that part's hard. It's yeah. hard not to be liked. No. It, yeah. It's hard not mm-hmm. to be liked. And it, you, it's, but at the same time, like... I think it's so important to, de- to detach your personal feelings and yourself from the decision. And, and I'll tell you, hard. your team is, you know, I always say to people, if you think that there's a problem that you're not dealing with, all of your employees see the same problem yeah. and they're holding you accountable for it. Yeah. So we've talked about the past. We talked about how you united the Texas Restaurant Association. We talked about the lessons we learned about being a leader from your experience. I really want to spend the rest of our time now talking about the state of the industry. Sure. Uh, and 
I love Texas because of the restaurants here. They're very innovative. And I've had the, you know, the, the privilege of being able to travel around the country and see what different you know, states are doing. And Texas is by far, I think, the most innovative as far as concepts and what it's people are amazing. doing. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of paint that picture of where you think the industry is right now. Sure. And then let's transition to what you want the future. Like what changes do you think need to happen and how are we going to make those changes? How are we going to continue to lead? Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of things right now is that we're not out of this pandemic and because we're still facing the impacts of so many things that occurred, right? So we have massive supply chain challenges. Mm-hmm. We can't get a lot of goods that we need even to prepare the meals or to box them up. Think about to-go containers and everything that happened with takeout. Now we're running into major crisis with, with broken supply, uh, supply lines. Uh, prices are way up. So the goods it takes for us to build a meal, whether it be poultry or coffee or you name it, it's all up. In some cases, I think we always tell the story of the chicken wings that are up 100%. Um, and, it, you know, two wings on a chicken, you're not going to solve that problem yeah. quickly. Um, that is all. <laughs> um, and it takes this many days to grow a chicken. I've learned all this. Um, but I think that, that, that's been a double crisis along with labor. And so we lost a lot of employees at the peak here in Texas. We had about 700,000 people that were you know, unemployed on the sidelines. Um, and that's hard because many restaurants immediately shed their employees, tried to get them back. They're public facing roles. We didn't have a vaccine. So we've gone, people have to remember, we've gone through this long life cycle around labor and just how much our employees deliver our product and our service. So I think if I've, I've coupled that all together, a couple key takeaways, one employees, you're going to see the relationship with restaurants um, and, and many restaurants change. I think that um, the roles that they play in a restaurant may be more consolidated, you know, not, instead of consolidated to one single task, they'll be multifaceted and they'll be really, the the, the, the brands they're going to win are those that look at the employee in a different way and holistically because those employees want to feel like they're part of a family and that someone cares for them. Yeah. So what what ways are you going to see restaurateurs change this perspective on the, the employee? How is that going to change? What things are we going to do differently from how we've been doing them? You know, one of the things we're seeing a lot is a lot of folks reaching out around professional development now, right? So how, how, do we, how do we show a path for a career? There are very few industries where you can come in at any point in your life and work mm-hmm. and very few that you can still start maybe in the kitchen and end up running a major business. Um, they want to make sure we have a credential and we somehow can put these people on a path either to college attainment if that's what's important to them or skill attainment with a credential that allows them to move up right into yeah. into new roles we're, we're, for right now we're getting a lot of inquiries about hey i've got this great team i want to keep this team what do you have for professional development and that was not a conversation prior to the pandemic mm-hmm. so what do you mean but what do you have about professional development what do you mean by that yeah so we we partnered and it's interesting so what materials what training programs what do you have anything formal yeah. right do you have something formal i think that's the thing right what's if i leave x brand and i've worked there as a manager for five years i have five years of experience what our partners at the National Restaurant Association have been working on is how do we then actually tie that to a recognized industry credential? So you actually have something that says, look at what I know, right? Cost, food cost, preparation, you name it, HR, legal. Why not have certifications and endorsements for our industry? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really valuable. I don't know if you can tell, but you're making me light up on the inside because you're reinforcing a lot of the lessons I've learned after doing 800 plus interviews and episodes. And one of those biggest lessons, I mean, you'll hear people say, uh, the, the purpose of a restaurant or the, you're not, you're not in the food and beverage industry. You're in the experience industry, right? And that's true. 
But I would argue that you're really in the development industry because you're yes. only as good as your people in your job. If you look at the most successful restaurateurs out there, they are all out there trying to create opportunity for their people. And that's all it's about. And that's why they open restaurants because yes. they know if they don't open another restaurant, they're going to lose that person. And that person's right. going to go on and do their own thing. And they don't look at and they'll give that that person that they're giving the opportunity to 50% equity in that business. But here's the thing. That's not 50% they're losing. That's 50% they're gaining yes. because they have somebody else that they can lean on that has their core values, that has their vision. Right. And it's all about creating opportunity and then empowering the people. And and it, we are in the people development business. That's all this is. I love is. that. Yeah. Yep. And, I love that. And you just reinforce that. Um, so what are some of the tools and resources that you have started to create now that you've identified that this is what we need to do? So we started, we knew that the first entry point was one of the hurdles. So, you know, in Texas and many states, we're regulated to have food uh, safety training, uh, alcohol training. And so we went to the Workforce Commission, got about a half a million dollars to be able to buy all those certifications. So restaurants can now pass them out. Workforce investment boards can pass them out. No cost to the employee. And then we're working with the National Restaurant Association that has built a program with industry that's going to be three levels of sort of entry level supervisor manager. Okay. And it's so going to come development. Career education. development. Yeah, and showing I, people the path. I mean, it's huge, right? We have a pro start program. I yeah. was a kid that wanted to go to a hotel restaurant. Thank God I had parents who let me do whatever I wanted, supported me. But we have a lot of people who don't see value in our industry, right? Yeah. They see it as a short term just get it done and that's not the case there's great pathways but we have to formalize it and, and our employees deserve that recognition yeah yep um i can't help but think i gotta give a nod to uh both nick cirillo and rudy mick because they put together this curriculum on it i just want to reinforce what you're saying where sure, they yeah. it's so important that we put together channels of growth in our business absolutely like literally like 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 mapping it out and creating a map of you you enter the business here and you can end up here you have to show people those Look channels at me. I, I just went back to QS where yeah. I was at the Pizza Hut as a new manager in training yeah now 25 years later I went back and took my picture in front of it because you know what I learned there a ton of hard work that's where yeah. I started and then I became a college president with world-class hotel and restaurant programs. And yeah. so that's what we try to show people, that every single thing you do in this industry is a stepping stone. But to me, we've never really formalized that in a way that we've professionalized it. And I think our employees deserve that. So the original question is, how is the industry going to change? What are the yeah. things that are happening that's going to change? So employees. And, and employees <laughs> and just also understanding and recognizing that our role as restaurateurs is creating opportunities for others. And if that can change across all states and associations that we can make that cultural change in our industry if we can transform the restaurant industry we can transform the world think about that think about how many people we transform in this industry and And think about how important we are because i think so much what we're dealing with in this country and beyond right now is that we haven't had the dining experience we haven't had the dining table for discourse so we our employees play a critical role and we collectively play a critical role just in the culture of of america and beyond and so you're absolutely right so focusing on employee development i think we're going to wrap that up what else do you want to see change in the industry i think you know i think it's an embracing of the new business model opportunities and so the restaurant has changed it's no longer going in and sitting down and having a meal you are making me feel like a smart person right now because that was like that was like right in the i was like i hope she talks about this i hope she talks about this and you're right Uh, i think that there's a lot broken in the sense that we just copied what everybody else was doing in the past because we weren't sharing information. So Absolutely. we would have to go work and observe and then repeat what other people were doing. And because of that, there was no diversity in revenue models or anything. We didn't look to other industries for inspiration. Two, we didn't have to. So we had yeah. a lot of success. So yeah. people have always loved restaurants. So it was very easy 
for people to continue on. We still have conversations with operators where we have to tell them that in Texas, March 18th, it's not coming back. We were closed March 19th. March 18th, it's not coming back. And then, but I think the difference is, is that any good change is rooted in good policy. Yeah. Um, and so for us, we took a lot of what we saw shift in the business model, which was alcohol to go as an example, extend the revenue, allow restaurants to sell things other than prepared meals, right? Bulk goods. Why can't you sell a whole kit of your hibachi and have people take it home forever? Yeah. Why, yeah. why just in the pandemic? So we spent a lot of time this spring and we passed a number of bills that are going to solidify the things that sort of innovations yeah. that we saw now are law. And a lot of these rules that were created in the past were created in a different world. Yes. Where the, like, a lot of things that we have today didn't exist in the past. So we needed to be more restricted. We, we needed to, to buckle down because it was harder to educate. I think it comes down to it was harder to educate people. We didn't have the resources we have today. Uh, I don't know if that plays into it. So we just restrict, we made it more restrictive. Yeah. And I think there was no, there was no catalyst. Yeah. So this time around, there wasn't a legislature that didn't know that restaurants need to help. Right. We spent the entire pandemic telling them we need help. We need help. We need help. We packaged that together, went to the 87th and passed six bills. That's never happened. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention, it's time-consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and managing your operations, and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long 
lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. So we've identified uh, new business models. We've identified uh, d- professional development. Uh, let's pull back a few more layers and new business models. So what? Yeah. So you talked about uh, to go uh, was a big part of it. What else do you think as far as the the evolution of the industry? Sure. How we're going to do business, revenue streams. What else do you think? I think um, the role of virtual brands and yeah. and um, and uh, ghost kitchens is here to stay. I, I think it allows a, a business two things. One. The upstart costs, while there are definitely significant upstart costs in the ghost kitchen model, you don't have that brick and mortar taking it on yourself. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, still concerned lenders watching what the industry went through. And so you can still get up and get moving quickly in a ghost kitchen concept. And then virtual brands really is you see companies like Bennigan's coming back and just a virtual brand. Um, it also is going to help those restaurants that are brick and mortar that have a lot of kitchen space and there you may be at a 60% utilization. Imagine building another brand out that back door for delivery only. Yeah. And now there's, there's digital franchising where like you are getting, you can get permission to cook someone else's recipe in your restaurant. So there's just so many channels of opportunity for revenue that if you open your eyes, you're surrounded by opportunity. Well, and new competitors, right? So that, that in that case, if all of a sudden you don't have a brand, maybe that's really successful in California that all, uh, one of your neighbors that's a competitor or maybe not a competitor today begins to sell that item tomorrow. Yeah. That changes the landscape. And I also think one of the things we're seeing just start to emerge is home cooking, but in a whole new way. So what happened in the pandemic in many parts of the world really were that people opened up their kitchens and they fed their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And now there's this tremendous appetite for why can't I have my grandma's lasagna that everyone in my neighborhood wants and sell it. That's a new competitor to a restaurant. Now, there's lots of health rules and all that, but... Look how much is changing on the policy side. So yeah. you, you know, if I'm a restaurant, there's huge opportunities for them. But there's also going to be new competitors coming in that we've got to be really thoughtful it's like about. Supper clubs is, is, is an example of what you're talking about. It is. Where it's now like it's there's there's even events like there was this one company I can't remember what it's called. And I discovered them like four or five years ago, where he was trying to create kind of like the Airbnb for dinner. So say like your uh, you really want to experience an authentic Indian meal with an Indian family. An Indian family can host you and they can sell a ticket to you to come join them. So for that's dinner. a little bit. It's called Chef, which is S-C-H-E-F yep. is one example. Brand new, uh, but they connect. So if you have grandma's lasagna and a story and you want to uh, promote that, you can promote it now. It's all digital based. So I can go in and say, I want that Indian meal mailed, made, you know, made by this part of India, someone from yep. Mumbai. And it will link you to where you can get that meal from someone in their home. Yeah, and that's really cool. And, and I think what's really exciting about this is the bar, the, the the barrier of entry into the restaurant industry was really high. Yes, three or four years ago. 
almost like unfairly high because of the regulations and the certificate, like all these things that these experts had to get in. It was expensive. And your, your average person could not start a restaurant unless they had like really good credit or experience or like whatever. Now, if you have an idea and you can know, you know how to use a computer, you can start a brand for like a hundred bucks. It's amazing. Yeah. And, it's and, amazing. and it's all about relationship building and, and just sharing that well, story. And this goes and, back to the experience, right? Yeah. We, I still go back to that employee. So what's going to become more valuable is if, if, if certain food items or even cuisines become more commoditized, the connection with that consumer to have a, this is the last, is sort of another big emerging, right? Technology. We yeah. gained about, we think three to four years in the pandemic of technology advancements. You can no longer have an empty Google it's page. The same, it's the same technology. We were just forced to use it. So it just accelerated the process. And pay attention to yeah. it. That's right. And people were asking me like, what's going to change? I'm like, nothing's changed except that we have no option but to do these things. Like the, and the people, consumers, that yeah. there's no question now. If they go to your website and they can't see your hours or that your menu is a PDF picture that they can't see... They're moving on. These changes They're are good for us, on. too, though. They're Think about great. the costs that it took to print a menu every time there was a change. Now, you go to your computer, you make a, a little yep. entry, and Especially across now, all right? boards, all boards, chain. everywhere, yep, it's, it's all connected. And it, these are good things. And I think it's a really good thing, too, because I think the restaurant industry, restaurant tours have been notorious for not charging what things like. They wouldn't change prices because they didn't want to upset the customer, the, uh, upset the customer, plus take on the uh, uh, upfront cost, cost right. of making a change That's because right. we the, our, we don't have cash in pockets we don't have we're not liquid the so average it, restaurant has 14 days exactly. on hand so you'd have to spend like om- probably close to thousands of dollars a thousand dollars right to make yep. all these changes you might not have that money in the bank so you can't make these changes now if there's a, a, a change in the market you can instantaneously make the change on your menu to reflect what the cost the value of that meal That's is. right. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um We've covered a lot. Anything else we haven't covered as far as the changes you want to see in, regarding technology and revenue and stuff I like that? I think delivery and, and to go, we're still shorting that out. You know, that was another piece of legislation yeah. we passed, which was to give restaurants tra- transparency. Yeah. So you can't actually represent a restaurant's brand unless you have an you know, agreement with them. That's very important to us. But that role of sort of how delivery is going to shake out. Um, how do you feel about these third-party delivery? Like, where, where do you sit on that debate? You know, at, at its face value, they're here to stay, right? Yeah. The role of third party is not going away. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very fortunate. We met with the three largest and came up with a piece of legislation to protect restaurants without harming their business. It was sort of a good middle of the road that we now see three or four other states trying to pass. Um, that's our first attempt. I think that if we can help restaurants better partner, right? So if we can help them better understand giving up just 30% and not having any ability to drive that channel, um, that's not sustainable for a restaurant. Yeah. But figuring out how they can leverage these partners to actually start to sell more, um, that's going to be key. Um, I, th- I think we're too early, but I- I'm definitely not in the camp that they're just awful people that we need to run away from. I'm going to actually put Uber on my board um, and said, you better have tough skin coming to me with our members. <laughs> but but I'd rather be in the conversation than, than you know have that conversation about me. Yeah. And that's really just our methodology. And so we just got them together and said, listen, this isn't working um, at all. This is, you're, you're representing brands that didn't, they don't even know that you're being represented by yeah. and we're going to fix it. So yeah. we worked together and Kelsey did an amazing job. We, I actually had a conversation last night uh, at the uh the event that you guys hosted yeah, the last preferred night. Partner, sure. Yes, uh, and the conversation was around like this the inbound marketing and either get on board or get off board. Like that's the future of marketing, and all this data and like the issues around collecting data. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, there we live in a time right now where our information, um, the, like these companies, the, the transparency is two ways. 
That's right. If you're a company and you want information about your customer, you can get it. And you, you know a lot about your customer. But guess what? These companies are also really, if you F up as a company, if you do bad things as a company, the consumer is going to let you know. And they're going to let everybody else know, too. That's right. So we're, we're achieving this level of existence right now where there's so much transparency where you can't be dishonest because you will get figured out. So it's forcing people to be like, I think all this and authentic. data. And yeah, authentic. Yeah, big data. I mean. What we know, uh, you said you're exactly right. But even why we, you know, at the at the conference we have the Farm Bureau, and the Dairy Council, and the beef people, and because also people are saying, I want to know where my food comes from, right? So that transparency and that honesty, we're seeing that being a big shift in the consumer going, I want to know where this stuff comes from. And so they're a huge part of this conference because they're a big piece of our supply chain. Yeah. But we're seeing that conversation from the consumer and you say transparency and authenticity goes all the way down to the food and where it comes from. Yep. Uh, we still have some time together. There's one, well, I wanted to get your take on one other idea as far as the, um, how the model, the business models are going to change. What do you feel about membership models? So brand new. Yeah. Uh, so that's where you buy into a restaurant. You get X number of meals a month. Yeah. It's just yeah. a way to kind of, instead of charging per transaction, yep. you charge for a membership, which gets like, it's, why don't we do that? Yeah. Like, uh, well, we're going to. Right? We are. I mean, I mean it's starting yeah, to happen. I think, but. I think, I think it's going to be, um, you know, I, I call that more of a shift in pricing model than a whole shift in the business. Right. Yeah. So it's sort of how, how do you sell a bulk membership to my restaurant so I know I have that revenue. And then, of course, you have the utilization. Yeah. So what's the utilization rate? And so I think for restaurants to look at giving that as an opportunity, especially your higher-end restaurants, yeah. um, absolutely. And, and, and that's, but that's now acceptable, right? There, we never had these conversations before. And now it's like we have food and those are people. Let's yeah. connect the two and we don't care how we get there. I think you're going to see a lot of all-in-one restaurants, kind of like this idea of we had to diversify to survive COVID and yep. these new appendages that we grew aren't going to, we're not going to chop them off. That's right. right. They're going to stay yep. there. And, um, you would see before COVID-19, like a company that would do just meal delivery. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. restaurants started doing meal delivery. And now why not have a separate arm that is just meal delivery where if you have people who love your food and love your brand, they want to eat at home your food and you deliver it regularly like once a day or whatever it is yep. why not do that and also have people come in and pay per transaction why not diversify and, and that I think and that's what what we've seen so much, is that integrated restaurant right yeah. and where we're seeing restaurants struggle because when you can manage the flow through your front door that's one thing but when you can't, you have that flow through your front door and you can't see the line that's coming through the telephone line the computer you're a third party delivery company imagine managing a kitchen now so yeah. I think where we see a lot of this is on the operations front is helping restaurants think about all those different things they can do. What should they do profitably? What yep. matches their brand? And then how to integrate that so they have a seamless experience. And so that's where things are really sticky right now. We are right so now. in sync, sister. So the, <laughs> one, the, the last thing I wanted to mention was this. Where do you think the industry is needs to be as far as integration, specifically APIs? Um, where, where do you like what's what needs to change as far as all these companies kind of kind of really I don't even know how to explain it. Like we're kind of at the mercy of these companies. Absolutely. Right? There, I always said you know, in the pandemic, one of my greatest fears was that there's nothing more uh, sort of scary to me than an operator that's under duress. Yeah. And that's what happened. And a lot of them ran out and they bought systems and they're not integrated and they had salespeople that could sell them whatever that's going to change their life. And now we have a restaurant with seven different systems that don't talk to each other. I think what you're going to see is I spent my early career in higher ed 
And I remember when technology hit higher ed and it's very similar. And so what you're going to see, even at I know this show today, we have a lot of these new startup companies that um, you're going to see the investment in technology to transform so much about what happens in a restaurant yeah. to, to digital and, and technology enabled um, that that's almost going to solve itself. I love it. Um, the only other thing I want to talk about is something I've been saying a lot recently is that this industry is very reactive. And I think that that is the reason we just, we, we act, we react to the consumer, but here's the thing. The consumer doesn't know what the consumer needs, but we still react to what the consumer thinks the consumer needs. And I think that's why we're in a lot of these issues because we just react and give the consumer what they want. Um, how do we transition to a proactive industry where we start, where we start reacting to the consumer and start telling the consumer, no, that's not what you want. This is what you want. And this is what's, this is what's best for all of us. It's a really great question. Um, you know, I think in some cases, maybe we do drive a little bit, right? So when we bring in new cuisine, when we bring in new ways to interact with them, um, alcohol to go, they didn't know they could, they wanted their fajitas and drinks. They thought they made it at home, but we created that and started to promote it. And now we're watching these alcohol to go sales go through the roof, right? We created that for the consumer. Yeah. I think it's always going to be a give and take. I do think the consumer has a lot of power right now. Yeah. They really do because we're, we're, we're opening restaurants in Texas at a rate that we haven't seen in years. Yeah. And so with all that choice, there is that restaurant that's going to have to still answer to that consumer demand. Um, but I think they now have the sense that they can innovate in ways that they weren't going to take those risks before. If you've been through this pandemic as a restaurant operator, you're not afraid of anything. Yep. I love it. Awesome stuff. Emily, this has been a really great conversation. Is there anything we did not discuss? that you were hoping to discuss or you think needs to be discussed before we wrap things up? You know, I think we just, no, I mean, I I think we, we went through something incredible. We got to take the good out of it. We've got to forget the bad. Um, I've had operators here in tears that they're just so grateful they're still open. Um, and so you just can't be afraid. You cannot be afraid and you have to embrace that the world is different. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is a mind shift, right? No one's going to teach you that. That is you accepting that, the old world is gone and that's okay mourn that loss mm-hmm. but then be open to what's possible there's a lot of things that were broken with the old world and i think it's a good yeah. thing that i mean you look at what happened this past year we look at just not even just the the change with technology and how we're doing business but also on a cultural level Absolutely. on a values level uh, and that was kind of one of the thoughts i had when i asked you that question about how can we be more proactive i think we need to take on more of a role of restaurants used to be the center of communities. If you were a restaurant tour, like you were like the mayor of a town and you were the leader of that town. And like, that was the significance of a restaurant going back 50 years ago. Right. And we, I think we need to go back to that role of, of not necessarily reacting to consumers, but saying, Hey, I need to educate you on what's happening in the world right now. Cause we can, can we can transform this, this world. I think the restaurant industry, if there's one industry that can change the world, it's the restaurant industry because we control so much. So I'm so glad you said that because prior to this role, I traveled the world. So I had teams all over the world. I'd go in and out of countries. Some I was welcome, some I was not. Um, But the one thing, I remember sitting in remote part of China and I don't speak Mandarin. The one thing that always brought everyone together, even if we didn't speak a common language, was food. And it struck me that, and that was my point on when the crisis was at its high point, I think part of what was missing was people were not having discourse around the table. That is what a restaurant can provide. Absolutely. And so that's, that's the social role. We also employ those people locally. And to your point, I think 
I, I have to say, I watched how Texans responded and how they carried restaurants through. I could not have asked for a better response from Texans. They Absolutely. love their restaurants. Yeah. If, if you look at uh, the big issues with the world today, a lot of it, uh, when it comes to whether it's carbon or uh, lack of water or just all the issues, global warming, a lot of what runs industry, all industry is food. Like the farming and uh, at the forefront oh. of all these issues, these global issues, these, these economic issues or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sustainability. Issues. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's all like the restaurant industry is at the leading edge of a lot of that and is the cause of a lot of that because of farming, uh, the type of farming we're doing, the, the unnatural, it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like we can change habits and I think we need to recognize that and if we educate people on the choices they make and how their decisions influence right. industry, it's really important we start communicating this stuff. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today to kind of share and make an example of you and what you've done for the TRA and for just making an example of you as a leader. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor, a restaurant tour I need to make an example of? And there's a lot of people, and that's, that's a hard question for you only to think of one or two or whatever. You know, I, I would, if, you know, I just, I've met so many of our folks in the pandemic, but, you know, I just watched sort of the resiliency and the folks that were going to try everything, right, to make sure their employees stayed employed. Um, the Delgados that are from McAllen, Texas. Yeah. They have three restaurants. Uh, at one point, they bought a fleet of cars to try to deliver food. Um, they got in with HEB and Larry would drive sometimes three to four hours a day meals to the grocery stores because they wanted to keep their staff. They wanted to survive. And, and honestly, I would just watch them and, and was in awe. I was humbled by them um, because I just, they never gave up. And, and, and there were days, I'll tell you, when we got dialed back to 50%, that was a tough day. And I just, I watched them just every day. They would get up. They would do their own social media, trying to get meals to people. They just, they just never gave up. And, yeah. and it, it, I mean, it, they're just incredible people that were Exude the examples. Positivity. Ex- I mean, positivity and just okay. I can do that. I'm going to go do that. I can yeah. do that. Nothing was too hard for them. They yeah. weren't waiting for somebody to make it better. They owned it, and they are incredible examples. Yep. Larry and Jessica Delgado, episode 638. If you guys did not catch that episode, Yay. I have made an example. Of them. I agree with you. They are from the uh, Carabas family. I think they, they, are. they, they came That's up right. through Carabas. That's right. And uh, it was a great episode. So absolutely go check that out. And Emily, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy today. Thank yeah, you no so worries. much for taking thank the time. Thank you for to having me. me. It was my pleasure. Excellent. There, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Cheers. Cheers. Well, now you know why I'm such a big fan of Emily Williams Knight. Uh, I think a good way to explain what's happening over in Texas is a transformation from the inside out. And it was uh, kind of fun to get into how they've evolved over the past year and to get Emily's perspective on what needs to change going into the future. Again, special thanks to our guest today, Emily Williams Knight. And uh, special thanks for just letting us come into your mark, your marketplace, giving us a stage to record these interviews. While I was there, I was able to connect with Ellis when Stanley, his episode went live earlier this week, and he's joining us live in the network on August 17th to answer your questions, to get peer mentorship. So if you enjoyed that episode and you want to connect with Ellis, be sure to join the network. Uh, also during this time in Texas, I was able to connect with Samuel uh, Stanovich, uh, who is the co-host of the takeout delivery and catering 
Engineering Show. He's also uh, involved with Big Chicken, uh, Shaquille O'Neal's franchise that's just popping off in Las Vegas, and Firehouse Subs, uh, where he is a franchise operator, plus just a real go-to guy when it comes to catering and takeout. And he's actually going to be coming back to do to do a workshop with us on the topic of catering. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Clay Dover from Velvet Tacos was able to join us when I was in Texas. We also had the Hunt Bros, uh, you know, Brandon and Zane Hunt from Via 313, who are past guests on the show. I was able to reconnect with them and Andrew Smith. And we talked about uh, private equity investment and Andrew Smith if you're not familiar with that name is with the Savory Group who's a basically private equity investors we got really deep into that conversation or that topic of private equity investing that was really great we had Sanjeev Rosden from Applebee's previously I should say with Applebee's Pizza Hut Sweet Green and today he's with the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf that was an amazing episode and just so many great things came out of this trip so you have a really great stack of content coming your way uh, before I let you guys go I want to kind of bring to the conversation to let you guys know that I have not yet decided where I'm going for my next trip which is probably going to happen in the last two weeks of September. So if you want Restaurant Unstoppable to come to your city uh, let me know and uh, I'll just come out and say it. a big part of what determines where I go is where the opportunities are. So if you've got an opportunity for me, if you have a crash pad for me, uh, that could be a really great way to get Restaurant Unstoppable to come to your city. Some of the areas we're interested in are uh, Las Vegas, New Orleans, and uh, Kentucky. So you're out those in those areas uh help influence the direction we take this thing and reach out my email is eric at restaurant all right guys that's it for today thanks for sticking around this long until next time peace out